You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. According to George Barna of the Barna Research Group, he's a research guru, and I'm a stats guy, and I read a lot of his stuff. And he said something that uh, is quite sobering. He said this, and you can see it as well. He said, the American church is dying due to a lack of strong leadership. In this time of unprecedented opportunity and plentiful resources, the church is actually losing influence. Barna says the primary reason is the lack of leadership. He says nothing is more important than leadership. Folks, I'll tell you, as a leader in this church, that puts quite a bit of pressure on moi. Wouldn't you say? You see, I've got to tell you this morning, um, it is true, society views the church today with increasing skepticism. And I'll tell you this, from a pastor's perspective, this is a challenging environment to pastor in. There are so many controversial issues, and they can be so divisive and complex. It is a difficult time to lead in church history. Churches today require leaders who can not only navigate through these issues, but overcome the enormous challenges of always attracting new members while keeping the current members happy with all of their expectations, while keeping the church in the black. Pretty easy, huh? Not quite. If you haven't figured it out yet, we're talking about leadership this morning. In our context, Christian leadership. Without question, this is a huge basic in our Christianity 101 series. This is, as a matter of fact, basic number seven in our study of Hebrews 13. So, by way of review, here's what we've seen so far. We've seen six Christian basics, basics of being a Christian. You remember them? Here's the first one. Showing brotherly love. If you're a Christian, a basic of being a Christian is showing brotherly love. Number two, exhibiting hospitality. Number three, if you're a Christian, a basic is you're going to help those in need. Number four, if you're going to be a Christian, you are going to live a sexually pure life. And five and six we saw last week. If you're going to be a Christian, a basic is being content. And number six, relying totally on Jesus. And so that brings us to number seven. In our study, number seven, a Christian basic is following Christian leadership. Now, church, this should make sense. If you're in a home, the parents are the leaders. If you play on a team, the coach is the leader. If you work in an organization, your boss man or boss lady is the leader. You get this. And so there are leaders here in the church they're called elders. And so today we're going to see the role of the church body in regards to how 
the body relates to the leadership, the elders. Now, can I take a time out real quick and tell y'all something? Really, I thought about having somebody else come teach this because it's about me. It's about leaders, right? And so I thought, but then I got thinking about it. I thought, well, this is first century, and this letter was read by the elders, the, the pastors, the leaders of these first century churches, so I can't wimp out because I've got to follow the lead here. But I will tell you, this is not an easy message to preach because it's about leadership and your role in following leadership. Okay, so you ready? Here we go. You made your way there? Hebrews 13, look at verse 7. We're going to read through verse 9, then we're going to jump down to verse 17 because it bookends this. And then next week we'll, we'll, we'll go pick up the in-between verses. Okay, watch this. Verse 7, remember your leaders... Those who spoke to you the Word of God. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm speaking to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of your leader's way of life and, wow, imitate their faith. Whoa. I, I wish you could feel how, how I feel when I read that to you. That, in essence, the Scripture says, imitate the way I live. Oh, my goodness. That's so sobering. That is so sobering. I, I can't even put it in, into words. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He does not change. Okay? That being said, verse 9, so do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Oh, they had strange teachings in the first century, and the Lord knows we've got them today in the 21st century. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. See, they were still arguing about whether or not they should be eating food offered to idols, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. I'm not going to rehash all that again, but the point is, is not to be led away by strange doctrines. Now, go to verse 17. I have to turn the page in my Bible. Chapter 13, verse 17, because this book ends this. Watch this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, mm, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Oh, that's a double. Mm -mm. I'm keeping watch over your souls. Wow. And I'm going to give an account. Let them do this. Do what? Watch over your souls with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In these verses we just read, the Apostle Paul is speaking of spiritual leaders and their role in leading the church. Paul is speaking of elders or pastors. Sometimes in Scripture they're called overseers. But these are the men who are leading the local assemblies. Now, now think about this with me. This is middle of the, of the first century. We're in the 60s A.D. There's tremendous persecution. Nero is the emperor, and he is running the world by way of Rome, okay? He has burned Rome, didn't go well. Political Fox News poll and CNN and Pew Research said bad for his political process. So he needed a scapegoat. So he's using Christians as that scapegoat. He's arresting them, hauling them off all over the, the, the known world that Rome occupies and bringing them to the Roman Colosseum and feeding them to the lions. This is a very dangerous time. And the churches were meeting where? Where were the churches meeting? Oh, in buildings like this. No. Tell me, where were the churches meeting first century? 
homes, homes, yes, gathering in one another's homes. And in these homes, in these local homes, they would typically have, like following Judaism, they'd have 10 families to make a synagogue. And oftentimes they would have, it was a small churches, most of them, but you know, 8, 10, 12 families, and they were coming together in each other's homes. But they had elders. In other words, they had pastors to lead them in each of those local assemblies. Now, remember from the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, when he went out on his missionary journeys, his job initially in establishing the first churches was to appoint whom? Elders. Okay, watch this. This is Acts 14, 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church... With prayer and fasting, they committed them, the elders, to the Lord in whom they had believed. So now, who exactly are elders and what do they do? Well, in Scripture, an elder is described as an under-shepherd to the good shepherd, the great shepherd. Who is the great shepherd? The Lord Jesus. So as an elder, I serve under Him. He is the chief Shepherd, you understand. And so he's where now? Where is he? He's in heaven. So I am acting on his behalf as a shepherd to this flock. Because that's what shepherds do. They lead flocks, right? So you're like sheep, if you will. And I am a shepherd. So in this context, church, I say this all the time. I am not the CEO, There is not an organizational pyramid here. I am not over you. I'm not a dictator. I'm not even the head tater. I am one of you. And you saw that I had a desire and made it known to you to be an elder. And you agreed and you set me apart and said, yes, lead us. And I'm one of the three elders in this church. So I lead Okay, so let's say we're going in this direction. So how do I lead as a shepherd? From the front or from behind? Right here, the front, right? Because a shepherd leads sheep. You're not cattle. You drive cattle from the back. Huh? I lead, and if I'm following the Word of God, and I am leading you by way of the principles of Scripture, then sheep follow. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know it and they follow him. He said, come follow me. And this is the context of Hebrews chapter 13. So what is my job here? To babysit you, right? No. Do you know what my job is? You know what my job is right now? Do you you know what the job of the person up here teaching is? To equip you. Did you know that? To equip you. Can I show this to you? This is, this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I want you to see this. Watch this. Ephesians 4, 11. And he, that's God, gave apostles, and he gave prophets, and he gave evangelists. Think of Billy Graham, right? And he gave shepherds and teachers. Stop there for a moment. That, that, it says shepherds and teachers. Really, most scholars believe it would have been better to hyphenate those two words. Shepherds, hyphen, Teachers, because they're one in the same, really. Because that's what I'm doing. Remember, we just read this, that I am to teach and to keep us from following strange doctrines, right? 
So a shepherd, an elder, one of the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3 is he's able to what? He's able to teach, right? Teach. So that's, that's what I'm seeking to do. My job is to teach you to do what? Now watch verse 12. Here's, here's my job. To teach you to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. It's my job to equip you so that you can go into your vocations, go into your sphere of influence, and you can lead people to Jesus. Do you understand that? It's not my job to lead everybody to Jesus. It's your job to go and make disciples of all nations because you're his ambassador. It's my job to equip you, to train you. That's what we're doing here. That is the gathering, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, the church family coming together. Now Paul told Titus to do the same thing in his little letter to Titus. And Titus was on the island of Crete. I want you to turn with me and go to Titus chapter 1. Now, in my Bible, I've only got to turn back to the left. I've got to go back left about four or five pages. And I want you to turn to Titus chapter 1. And as you're turning, let me show you the island of Crete. I want you to have an idea where this is. It's not like it's all the way across the world. The island of Crete is, is stuck in the southern part of the Mediterranean Sea. See it there? It is just south of what we know of today as Greece, modern-day Greece. It was there that the Apostle Paul asked Titus to finish the job of appointing elders. Paul had started, but then he had to leave. And he had to go back to Achaia in Macedonia. And so he told Titus to finish the job. All right, you've made your way there. Titus 1, look at verse 5. Watch this now. This is why I left you, this is Titus, in Crete, so that you may put what remained into order and do what? Appoint elders in every town as I direct you. Now notice the word elders. We just read a moment ago on the screens in Ephesians 4.11 the word shepherd. Some versions say pastors. In fact, in, in most English versions of the Bible, that's the only time you'll see the word pastor is in Ephesians 4.11. The rest of the time, the majority of the time, you're going to see the majority of the time the word elders. That's why I typically, we typically, Brad and Dale and I call ourselves elder pastors. It's, it's one and the same, but it's, 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 it's the word that's used most often in the New Testament. So that he was to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, now here comes the qualifications. He's got to be above reproach. This guy's got to be the husband of one wife. And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery. That means they're not living a wild, crazy life. Okay? And they're not insubordinate. Verse 7. Now here's another word for an elder or a pastor. An overseer. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Now, it doesn't mean he's perfect. It just means that there's nothing egregious that can be brought against him. Okay? He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He can't be a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. But he must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Can we stop there for a moment? My goodness. That is, talk about sobering. I feel so inadequate. I, I can't, I mean, that's, I can't live up to all that. And yet that, those are the qualifications. Verse 9, this is critical. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, see, and today as we're reading it, so that he may be able to give instruction in what? Sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. It is my job to try to teach you what the Word of God says. I don't change it. I don't make it what I want it to say. I don't change it with the culture just because it doesn't fit the times. I teach it as it's written. Do you understand that? 
That'd be a good place for an amen in this crazy world we live in. But this is why it's complicated. It gets complicated because people say, oh, we live in the 21st century and so things are different today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so is His Word. Does not change. Now watch verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate. They are empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. You see, there were still people who said in order to become a Christian, you had to get circumcised first. And Paul said, that's ridiculous. He said, verse 11, he said, these people must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families. Whole families in these house churches, right? Whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Church family, having the right leaders, I don't care where it is, is critical. Whether it's a home, on the ball field, in the, in the boardroom, in the classroom, you have to have leaders. And in a church, it's absolutely and essentially critical that the elders lead well. I want to show you a quote from a man named Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter was a Puritan pastor and a theologian lived in the 1600s. I want you to see what he says. Watch this. He's, he's talking to elders. He's talking to people like me. He said, take heed to yourselves, lest you live in those sins which you preach against in others, and lest you be guilty of that which you daily condemn. Will you make it your work to magnify God, and when you have done so, dishonor Him as much as others? Will you proclaim Christ's governing power, and yet condemn it and rebel yourselves? Will you preach His laws and willfully break them? Oh, take heed to yourself, lest you cry down sin, and yet do not overcome it. Lest while you seek to bring it down in others, you bow to it and become its slave yourself. Oh, church, I don't know how many times I can say that is sobering stuff for me. And honestly, it's why the world is so skeptical of so many pastors and church leaders today, because they don't live that way. They say one thing and do another. And they bring a reproach on the name of Christ. I've been reading a book our staff has on church leadership by Henry Blackaby, a great man of God. More on him in a moment. But in the book, he quoted President Dwight Eisenhower. You know, he was our 34th president. And Eisenhower was, uh, uh, had this great line about leadership. I want you to see it. Dwight Eisenhower said, the supreme quality for leadership is unquestionably integrity. Without it, no real success is possible, no matter whether it's on a railroad crew, a football field, in an army, or in an office. End of quote. I agree with President Eisenhower. Church, I think by now we can safely say something like this. As a pastor goes, so goes a church. Would you agree with that? I mean, is a team going to be any better than their coach? Is a class going to be any better than the teacher? Not typically. Is a family going to be any better than the mama and the daddy? It can happen, but not typically. And I'm telling you, a church typically goes as the pastor goes. I told you this is sobering. It is. And this is the crux of the message today. Church, it is my responsibility as an elder of this church, a pastor, to be right before the Lord and to teach His Word as it is written. And here's the thing, and I'm going to step back down off this podium. If I do that, or whoever is teaching there as an elder does that, 
then the Scripture says in Hebrews 13, as a shepherd, we should what? Thank you. Follow him. We should follow him. That is being submissive. That how did you come to Christ? How did you come to Christ? You submitted your life to Christ. And I as an under-shepherd now of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are submitting not to me, but through my leadership, our leadership, Pastor Dale, Pastor Brad, you are submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a Christian basic. A lot of people don't like to submit today. They don't want to submit. And see, this brings us back to Hebrews 13, 7. Go back there. You were in Titus 1. Go back to Hebrews 13, 7. Watch it now. See it again. 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their, in other words, watch their life and imitate it. Wow. Now go over to verse 17 again. See this again. We're learning by repetition. Go to 17. Look, look at this word. Obey. Oh. Obey your leaders. Oh, here's even tougher. Oh, submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls, and they will give an account. I will give an account for your souls. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I want you to jump down to verse 24. Same chapter. Go to the very end of the chapter, almost the last verse, right? Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send your greetings. Now, you remember, church, we talked about this when we started talking about the book of Hebrews. This is a circular letter. What does that mean? This letter in these house churches was distributed from house to house to house to house. It was circulated among the churches. So that those first century, primarily in Israel, were still Jews coming to Christ, becoming Christians. They were to understand that Christ is supreme. They're no longer operating under the old covenant, but under the new covenant. The blood of Jesus, not the blood of bulls, goats, and lambs. You with me? So this, my point is, this is a circular letter. It's going from house to house or from church to church. That's why he said, greet all your leaders. Now, church family, according to Scripture, in the local body of believers, there are two offices. 1 Timothy 3 speaks of this. Now, we've been talking about elders. So what's the other office? Deacons. I heard you. Somebody said it. Deacons. We had a deacon ordination Wednesday night. But they're two different roles in the church. They're not the same. You understand that? Listen to me. Elders lead the flock. Okay? Come on. Come on. Elders lead the flock. Watch. Watch. Deacons get into the flock, and they care for the individual needs of the flock amongst the sheep. See, this was the problem in Acts chapter 6. The apostles... In that essence, working as the elders in the first church, they couldn't pray and do the work of ministry because they were too busy trying to distribute bread to the, to the widows. And so they appointed deacons, diakonos, that means servants. It literally means through the dirt. It means getting dirt under your fingernails. They went and served so that the, the apostles could lead, you see. Because if you're spending all your time Dealing with all the, not to say that elders can't deal with it. Well, Lord knows we do. I do all kinds of counseling and hospital visits and all things that we do. But I'm just saying, we have deacons here. We have 15 of them. They have somewhere between 20 and 22 families. And they, they help look after you. Because how can three pastors look after 700 people? It's impossible. And so that's how the workload is spread. And so the, the elders are visionaries 
And, and they're, they're leading to, well, let me see if I can do this. See if y'all can help me. There's a place we're trying to lead you to, okay? All right, all right. 23rd Psalm, help me, okay? The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He make me lie down in. Oh, so I'm to lead you where? To green pastures. Because sheep like that, right? <laughs> we, you want to be able to be nourished, right? Do you know what grieves me, church? Do you know what grieves me, those who are watching? Listen, we've got pastors who are still doing the sa things the same way they were doing them in 1975 in that church or 1980 because they're scared to change anything. And the people are eating dirt. They're not eating green pastures. They're eating dirt because they've not moved. They've not changed. And it's amazing. And it grieves my soul. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. And, and, and I'm honestly, so many pastors, I, I, they just don't have any vision at all. And they're not excited about what they do. You know, and they lament and moan and groan, well, the church just ain't growing. I don't know what the problem is. Well, listen to how you're talking, dude. You know, I had a lady after the first service, she said, first time I've ever been with y'all, she said, man, you're passionate. Thank you very much. You know what I'm saying? Do you want me standing up here going, obey your leaders and submit to them? For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who... Listen, I tell, I tell guys this all the time. Listen, if you don't get excited, they ain't going to get excited. Listen, if you don't show passion and enthusiasm, think of a coach. Coach comes in. Well, I hope we can win this one today, fellas. But, uh, you know, don't know. Uh, it's going to be a tough team, so go get them. <laughs> what? 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 No way. Come on. You, you fire them up. You're in the locker room. This is our locker room. You fire them up, and we go firing out of these doors. And we go take Jesus to people who are hurting. There are people in your lives that they need Jesus. They need to speak Jesus over their life. Oh, and they need to hear it from you. Church, things have changed. Times have changed, don't you think? I want you to listen carefully. Are you still listening? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so is his word. So this never changes. But listen carefully. The methods have to change. You say, what do you mean by that? Jesus said to go out into the highways and the hedges and do what? Compel them to come in. We don't compel people doing things the same way that we did them 40 years ago. Times have changed. Let me ask you something. Do you own a cell phone? If you own a cell phone, raise your hand. Did you own a cell phone 30 years ago? If you did and were alive, you carried it around in a suitcase. <laughs> and you were like George Jetson. You had one of those antennas on top of your car, right? Hey, do you have indoor plumbing? Aren't you glad? Can you buy? I mean, my grandparents talk about having an outhouse. You know, I complain about getting up in the middle of January and have my poor little footsies go across my cold tile in my bathroom, right? Imagine walking out to an outhouse on four inches of snow. 
Times have changed. Would you agree? Listen, we never change the Word of God, but the methods in trying to reach a culture have to change in order for us to be relevant to the culture. So many churches are not even relevant. And we don't sacrifice the Word of God to be relevant. We never do that. Thankfully, some churches are beginning to change. I mentioned cell phones a moment ago. That's a screen, right? What is this? That's a screen, right? Hey, do you look at screens? What are you kidding? Of course you do. From your computer to your iPad to your flat screen, 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 TV to your cell phone screen. We live by the screens. And so what have we done? We bring in these things because you're used to looking at them. And I can show you a picture. A picture's worth a thousand words. And you're glad because you don't want to be here to 115. Right? Okay? My sermons average around 3,500 words. I mean, that's cutting out about 10 minutes. You say you're being silly. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you that. And, and churches are, I mean, I don't know many churches today that now don't have screens. That would have been unheard of even 15 years ago. Hey, do you remember how people dressed in the 1970s to come to church? You remember how they dressed? Take a look at this. Look at this. This, this is hilarious when you think about this. Look at that. Hey, check out the lady in the middle there. Man, got her due. You know, she went to the, you know, to the beauty parlor, you know, on Friday. She goes every Friday and sits under that big old egg, you know, sits under that thing. And then they get out get that little fork thing and do that little thing right here and get that thing all standing up because it's been flat on her head until she get there and get that thing standing up, you know. So then they got to go to church, right? Got to wear those black patent leather shoes. Hey, there's no dress code in Scripture. You do know that. See, we're talking about traditions now. Going to step on a toe or two, see? You got on your Sunday best? Huh? Some of you got on t-shirt. What's wrong with you? Huh? I mean, even Scott put on a better shirt when he's doing the announcements. Got rid of that old nasty raggedy t-shirt and put him on an Under Armour golf shirt. There's no dress code in Scripture. I'm being facetious. What did they wear in the first century? Robes. What do you think? They put a clip-on tie on their robe? It's ridiculous. You think they put on wingtips? By the way, I got my sketchers on today because it's got the memory foam in that thing. You know what I'm saying? Because by now, my feet are killing me. And now Brad wears these things, so I figure I'll wear them too. I used to think I had to wear wingtips. I agonized over buying these blame sketchers. Do you care if I wear sketchers? You care if I teach you the Word of God. Yeah? But oh, we get stuck in these traditions. More's coming. See, that one was kind of easy. You laughed at that one. Wait till you get to the one I, when we get to the one I'm coming to. Has Walmart changed over the years? <laughs> in a lot of ways. But look at their logo. 1962, look at that, how plain. Now they got a little sunshine on it. That was 2008. Man, that's been 11 years. It's about time for a new one, right? Things change. I talked about cell phones a moment ago. I thought this picture was hilarious. Check those out. Hey, you know what that one is in the middle? That's a, a raspberry. No, it's not a raspberry. That's a straw. No, it's not a strawberry. What is that? A blackberry. You remember those things? My goodness, the PDA. No. We can't stay the same, can we? 
the great author I mentioned a moment ago, Henry Blackaby of Experiencing God fame, you know, uh, did that study. We did that here years ago. Join God where he's at work. You know, he's 84 years old now. And I want you to hear this from an 84-year-old man. This is from his book that, I, that the church staff, we, 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 we go over this book, talk about it on Monday mornings. His book called Spiritual Leadership, Moving People to God's Agenda. Here's what he says. Take a look at this. He said, and I said this a moment ago, while biblical principles and values never change, methods appropriate in one era may be obsolete and even counterproductive in the next. I agree with Blackaby. Times have changed. And I, you know, church, I'm thankful that you've allowed us to change some things around here. You've shown trust in your leadership, in the ways that we try to reach more people, and sometimes they're not even traditional. It's not stuff we've ever done before. And, and you know what? We didn't vote on a lot of this stuff. By the way, in the New Testament, can you show me where they had a vote? Can you show me one place? Not once. They only reached consensus. Take, for example, Acts 15. They had the Jerusalem Council that's trying to determine what salvation really is. And they came, Paul came back on his journey and met with the elders, and James was leading the church, Jesus' half-brother, and they had the discussion amongst the elders, and then they came to the church, and you know what the Bible says? And it seemed good to the church. Where's the vote? How many were saved on day one in the church? Peter preached at Pentecost. How many were saved? 3,000. So where's the vote? 2,972? Yes. 200 and whatever it is? No. No, that's not it at all. They reached consensus. But, you know, we still try to run things like it's a business, right? By Robert's rules, you know, all in favor say aye, and it's spelled A-Y-E. <laughs> Did you know that? All opposed like sign. Oh, no, nay. Okay, so we have you say nay. What are you, a horse? <laughs> nay. See, I don't, who's Robert? Robert's rules and his rules. I'm not against, we have them in our bylaws though. I'm not against that. But let me ask you something. When you as a family, because we're a family here, this is the ecclesia, the church body. When you, it's Friday night and you're trying to decide where to go eat. Do you pass out little white slips of paper and putt-putt pencils? Okay, let's vote. Okay, ready? All right. Vote, write down the, the where you want to go. Some write down Wendy's, some write down, you know, Chick-fil-A, some write down, we can't write down Taco Bell, that's a sinkhole, but, but you, you know, <laughs> unless you drive all the way over to 18, you know. You know when they were make, redoing the Kentucky Fried Chicken down here, you know this own Pepsi owns the same, Kentucky Fried Chicken and Taco, I thought they were putting a Taco Bell, like they were going to have a, a t t right Glenn, was you thinking the same thing? They was going to have a Kentucky Fried Chicken and a Taco Bell. I'm like, because I like Taco Bell because it's cheap. <laughs> I mean, it's cheap. I mean, you can eat for next to nothing. You can feed a family of four for like 25 bucks. Man, that's amazing when you're broke. You know what I'm saying? Peace. He ain't got no money. Let's go to Taco Bell. <laughs> you know? But it wasn't, was it? But I'm, I'm, being, I'm, I'm being serious. Do you, do, you, do you vote on stuff? No, you talk about it as a family. And you reach consensus. You may not want to eat there necessarily, but you go along with it. And see, maybe in everything that we do here, you don't necessarily agree with all of it, you know? But you say, okay, I trust these guys. They're seeking the Lord. They're, they're following the Word of God. I don't see anything really out of step with the Word of God, so it's really not my thing. But, you know, like we do the Passion Play. We didn't vote on that. Listen, we didn't vote on having the independent celebration. You know, when we did all the fireworks back at July 4th, how cool was that? 
It was amazing. And we were able to reach out to, to 1,500 people and to be able to share the gospel. I shared it on a flatbed out at a field. That is going out into the highways in the head, you see? And that's totally different. But you trusted us. You go, oh, it's a little bit weird, church. I heard people go, I just can't believe the church is spending money on fireworks. Bless God, there's got to be a better way to reach people than fireworks. <laughs> that's the point, my dear Watson. We are trying to reach people. You know, and if you blow off some fireworks, they'll come. You know where we get this from? You drive down 421 to Winston, and there's somebody parked on the side of the road. You know you slow down. You want to know what happened. Oh, he's just changing his tire. <laughs> People want to see what's going on. They come, they want to see an accident. What happens? Is there any blood? Ooh, that's bad. Keep driving. Pray for them. Jesus, help them. Things change. We do all kinds of things around here. We do Christmas candlelight. You know, we make it snow in here. Why? Wow, you, you bought snow machines? What, are you crazy? No, we're trying to compel people. We're just trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out a way to bring... Paul said, I become all things to all that I might win some. We're trying. We're trying. Some things work, some don't. And, and thank you for, for trusting us. For trusting us. I'm grateful that you do. You know, there's a lot of things we do different here. See, we're a family, and that means we worship together as a family. So guess what? There are babies in this room. Guess what? There are children in this room. Guess what? There, there are young adults, youth, in this room. Did you know a lot of churches today, there are no babies, there are no children, and there's nobody below the age of 18 in that service. And that is totally, totally unbiblical. It is. And I, and I know that's against traditions. But we didn't start this mess until about 30 years ago. And I'm telling you, by the time these young people get back to where they actually come to the big church, which they've never been involved in, and they're in their freshman year in college, they go, this is weird. I want to go play Xbox in my church where they can. And you've got freshmen still want to stay in the youth group because it's going to be a 10-minute devotion, and then they get to play and eat cookies, you know, Right? and Cheetos and Coke. And so what have we done? We're entertaining people and not involving people. This is the family of God. And so we all come together, and it is a bit more inconvenient. But could you imagine in the first century church meeting in those homes? Could you imagine coming to the door, knocking on the door, and maybe the lady of the house says, Hello, thank oh, you have a small child? She'll be coming with me. And oh, we only have a one-room house, so I'll take all the kids in this corner, and all you adults go over in that corner where you can worship and just enjoy the presence of Jesus. You say you're being silly. No, I'm not. I'm just saying we do a lot of things out of convenience, and they're, I'm not, and they're just not biblical. And I know some people are watching this, and that may rub you the wrong way, but listen, we're going by the Word of God. I'm not against children's church. I'm not against youth groups. I'm not against even having nurseries. But I'm just saying we have a cry room over here so that the parents can help the child get, if they get out of whack. Sometimes it happens, but come bring them back in. And then we worship together as a family. That is scriptural. We are the family of God. But I know sometimes it's difficult. And I know sometimes kids talk out loud. And it is what it is. But we get used to it, and so do they. You know what else we have here? We are, biblically speaking, we are congregationally led. This means that you have the final say. For instance, you know Wednesday night we're having church conference. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to vote on the budget. 
We're also going to vote on Matthew McNeil. Matthew's been working here in the church. You've seen him up here doing announcements. You've heard him on Wednesday nights. Matthew's been working for us, but he's not officially on staff. We did kind of a trial run this year. He's done a great job. So we're going to vote on him, but you're going to decide whether or not he officially goes on staff. He'll, you know, get some insurance now and a little mileage fund and a little book fund. And, you know, he goes on the staff deal, right? But you ultimately get to decide that. And so you say, well, what are the checks and balances for you as the elders? You are, but you utilize the deacons. The way it's set up here is the deacons determine our pay. They determine the elders, the pastor's pay, and they determine their housing and salary, okay? And so the, the deacons have the responsibility of looking into the future and taking care of us. As we take care of you, they look at our families and us and say, are we taking care of these elders? Are we providing for them? See, I said this last week, and I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear me well. You get what you pay for in life. Did you hear me? And here's the thing. So many churches believe, and this one doesn't, praise be to God, but so many churches that I know believe that their pastors take a vow of poverty when they go into the ministry. And so if the wife ends up driving up in the food line parking lot in a car that's, say, not falling apart and actually has a couple of hubcaps on it, they go, oh, got a nice new car. I guess we're paying your husband too much. What? Oh, and be careful where you go on vacation because it's okay to go to Gatlinburg for a two-day weekend, but don't you dare go to Hilton Head for a week because we're paying you too much then. What? See, some of you understand exactly what I'm saying. See, it, if you're trusting the the pastor, the elders with the money that you're paying them, then what they do, and by the way, a lot of times people do stuff for pastors, and, and that's very gracious. So that you might be at Hilton Head, but you're there on some, in somebody else's house. You understand that? Sometimes you just don't even know. But see, as a pastor, sometimes you almost have to apologize, you know, for what you have. And that's not in Scripture. But let me tell you, so many churches today out there, maybe some that are watching today, Pastors don't, men don't aspire to become pastors. You want to know why? Because you can barely live. You can barely pay the bills. And so, unless God actually almost does like Saul and drops you on your back with a, a moment of bright light, it's very, I mean, but that's not scriptural. Let me show you. I want to show you this so that you'll understand this. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Watch this. Let the elders, you watching this now? 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule well, now they got to be doing a good job, be considered worthy of what? Tell me. Double honor. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Paul would tell the church at Thessalonica this in 1 Thessalonians 5.12. Watch this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you. That's the elders in the Lord. And admonish you and to esteem them how? Very highly. Because of what? In love because of what? Their work, what they do. Be at peace among yourselves. Hey, church, look, look, look. I'm coming back down here. I know I'm out of the light. Sorry, I'm messing up the, the cameras and everything, but I want you to understand this. Whoever this is up here teaching, this is important. Do you understand that, that what's being taught in the pulpits, it's eternal? How important is that to your children's lives? 
How, and yet, so many, and um, it's not this church. The church is very gracious to us. But so many churches, they don't pay the pastors anything. And so guess what? You get the bottom of the barrel. You get what you pay for. You get guys that can't do anything else because they're lazy and they don't, they're slovenly and they don't do anything. And then they talk about how the church ain't growing. That's because you ain't working, Jack. Work. Like that woman told me, she goes, well, you're passionate. Thank you, ma'am. Go get it. Make it happen. No, you don't go into the ministry to get rich. I mean, I'm not Creflo Dollar. You know that guy's got a $40 million jet? What are you, crazy? That's nuts. No, but I'm saying if you want somebody that's going, you, if you want to invest in a, in a pastor to actually teach the things that are eternal, then a church has got to make that investment. And that's not, that's not y'all get that. There's some churches watching this. Don't send me hate mail, please, okay? Okay, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. If you, if, if you actually want somebody to step up and teach and really be the person that you want them to be for your family, you're making a spiritual investment by investing in them. Do you understand that? It's hard for me to say that. I know it sounds self-serving, but, but I'm good here. I mean, y'all take care of me. The deacons, I love you. I'm saying this for other churches, and you wonder why you're struggling so much. Because so many pastors have no passion. They have no excitement. They have no fire. And I tell brothers all the time, listen, if you don't get excited, they're not going to get excited. I don't care how many, if you had all the money to get every billboard in town and advertise your church and you were to advertise it on television and radio, if the people aren't excited, nobody's going to be excited. But if the people start to get excited, you know what the best advertising is? Somebody tell me. Word of mouth. All of a sudden, you go out there and say, man, you, you got to come to my church, man. It is amazing what God is doing there. I mean, I'm learning. Are you growing? Are you growing in your faith? We're, take, we're trying to take you to green pastures. See, that's our job, for you to grow. And we, keep, we don't let you keep eating on dirt. We keep moving, and we keep moving. This never changes, never. But we keep moving, and we keep trying to figure out more ways to reach more people. That's the goal. For the football league, the soccer league, passion play, uh, trunk or treat, fall festival, Christmas candlelight, the independent celebration, all these things that we do revamping vacation Bible school, a lot of the different things that we're trying to do. We're trying to go out and compel people. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. And so that brings us back to verse 17. And here we go. Ready? Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Oh, it's hard for me to read that. It simply means you follow. Jesus said, my sheep hear me and they recognize my voice. The sheep trust the shepherd. So let me give you a quick example. Something I told you, here comes a tradition. What, what did most Baptist churches do at the end of the service? What do they do? What do they have? An altar call, right? An altar call. Where is that in here? You go, I don't know. It's not in there. Okay, now think with me, okay? We're thinking biblically here, okay? Where were the churches meeting in the first century? In homes, okay? Can you imagine, do you have an altar in your home? You got a little corner somewhere with rocks piled up about three feet high, huh? Anyone, anyone, anyone? Rocks in your home, okay? You know what the first church was doing? They were coming together. You know what they did? Acts 2.42, right? They broke bread. They had a meal every Sunday. We're going to have communion next week. Most scholars believe they had communion every week after the meal, just like Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Number two, they prayed, 
right? Number three, they fellowshiped. And number four, they studied the Word of God, right? Right? Where is, it, where is an altar? They did all this at a table, see? Altar is Old Testament. That's what you killed animals on. You understand that? That's blood. That's Old Testament. New Covenant, you know what the altar is? Right here, the heart. Right? So here, we'll talk more about this next week. So here's the thing. Could you imagine first century home, everybody comes in, you're eating at a table, and then the, 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 the pastor of the church, maybe there's eight or nine families meeting there, and he gets up and he goes, okay, everyone, it's time to come to the altar. Okay, there's some rocks piled up over here. We have an altar over here. Come step over here. If you want to come to Jesus, come over here. And right here in this three-foot circumference, I'll try to lead you to Jesus. Oh, and do it in three minutes. Because that's all I got. I got one song. See, this service is a little bit easier. You try to do this first and second service. You try to do this with another, another service coming. You try, and really, it's just as hard for you because you got to beat the Methodist to the table, right? <laughs> hurry, hurry, hurry. Right? Hurry, hurry. Right? And so we, we give this altar call. There's nothing, listen, there's nothing wrong. Hear me. There's nothing wrong with an altar call. I'm just saying it's not in the Bible. What do we do an altar call for? To give people a chance to come to Jesus, right? How are they leading people to Jesus in the New Testament, in the first church? How often were they leading people to Jesus? Only on the Lord's Day? Take a look. Acts 2.47. You ready? They were praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number on the Lord's Day in a three-minute invitation those who are being saved. Now, that's not what it says, does it? Day by day. Do you know what percentage of Christians have ever led a single soul to Christ? Less than 5%. 4.7% to be exact. You ever led anybody to Christ? It's easy to say, see, this is what we do. We bring them here so that I can try to lead them to Christ and bounce around like a pogo stick here at the end of the service trying to get to everybody, me and Pastor Dale. And sometimes I look up, and Dale's over here, and I'm here, and I see a lady walking back down this aisle, tears streaming down her face. Like, oh, we missed her. Oh, so now what do I do? Do I text her? Do I call her to see if she's okay? Or is that usurping? Is that overbearing? What? They were in each other's homes, and so the tears were at a table, and they could talk and they could share. It's a tough thing, church, but we've gotten to the place today that we have these altar calls, and we don't even know where they came from. One of my favorite people on the face of the earth, and he's with the Lord now, is Billy Graham. I love Billy Graham. In fact, I've got one of his mugs from his Billy Graham library on my desk. I drink my coffee out of it. You know where the altar call came from? Billy Graham Crusades. How about that? Because Billy Graham, and I'm not disparaging Billy Graham at all. I, listen, I love Billy Graham. But Billy Graham at his crusades had to have a way to register the responses, correct? So take a look at this. This is in one of his 1950s crusades. He started in 1949 in the great Los Angeles crusade. But so he's at a football field, and what has he just offered? The what? Invitation. You won't find that word in Scripture, that, there, that that's something that you do in the ecclesia. That's what this is. This is the gathering of the family of God. Okay? And so the people are coming forward, right? Correct? They're coming forward. So we at the end, this, so many Baptist denominations adopted this practice and have had it now for 
50, 60, 70 years. And so what we've turned ser services on Sunday into are little mini M-I-N-I -I crusades that I, at the end of a message, have to invite you to come forward and say, well, you've got to publicly confess that you know Jesus? Absolutely. But that can be done out there day by day when you lead somebody to Christ as I have equipped you on Sunday. Get it? We've unintentionally turned Sundays into the only day that somebody can get saved. <laughs> and that during a three to four minute song is I'm trying to figure out, oh man, and it, it's, it's tough, I'm telling you. Let's say it's second service and y'all are waiting out there trying to get in and the song is wrapping up and there's like 10 seconds left in the song and it's been going for three and a half minutes and somebody comes forward. I go, oh Lord, it is 1049. What do I do? This is somebody's soul. Hi, how are you? Hey, are you, you need to pray? Okay, quickly, quickly. Okay, all right. Are you doing okay? Okay, off you go, off you go. Okay, everybody have a good day. That's not biblical. I cannot offer good pastoral care doing that. I've grappled with this, grappled with it for weeks and months. A little over four weeks ago, I went to Atlanta, and I went to Charles Stanley's church. Y'all know Charles Stanley? Can I show you what they have in their church? Take a look at this. I saw this and I'm like, ooh, I got to go check that out. The decision room. See the man standing there? He's the head, he's the pastor of pastoral care at First Baptist Atlanta. And I walked up to him and I said, can I talk to you for a second? He said, sure, I've got his business card in my desk drawer in my office. I said, how did this come about? And he said, a couple of years ago, Dr. Stanley said he was tired of trying to hustle through and pastorally care for people in three or four minutes. I'm like, oh yes, I know what that man's feeling. Get this, Charles Stanley will be 87 years old on Wednesday. So I said, whose idea was? He said, Dr. Stanley's. Really? He said, you know, it's not in the Bible, these altar calls. And I'm like, and so I'm, I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. And so he educated me. He's telling me about the crusade method and all that. And I'm like, why? Can I show you inside the room? Now, doesn't that look more like you'd see in a home, like first century church where they're in a home, you know, and they're able to talk to people and share and have the time to, to I mean, this is eternal stuff we're dealing with. And so it was beautiful. And I said, man, I, I, I'm, I'm glad to know this. And that's, I came back and I said, guys, I'm ready. I'm ready. I said, I, don't, I said, some people are going to probably be upset or whatever, but I'm saying, it's not in the Bible, so we're not doing anything biblically wrong here, and we need to offer proper care. And I'm tired of bouncing around like a pogo stick and trying to hustle up, and it's like we don't even care. What are we running, a fast food restaurant here? I'm just trying to get people through the drive through window down here. No way. No way. By the way, while I'm on it, something else I'm going to plant the seed for Something else I saw at Dr. Stanley's church. Take a look at this picture. I saw this overflow sign. And I told Pam, see you later. <laughs> and off I, I said, I got to go check this out. Because, man, this church is packed. So I go down some steps. And underneath the belly of the main auditorium is that. Doesn't that kind of look like how we could set up our fellowship hall? 
Maybe during this service, the third service, if, if we, listen, I don't want to build any more buildings. I'm sorry. If you want to build some palatial structure, I'm not interested. But when we fill up these purple chairs, there may be some people that would go over and watch this thing in the fellowship hall when it's popped in there. And some of you go, I'm old. I'd never do that. You're not a millennial. A millennial would. They're so used to looking at screens, it wouldn't be any different. You know what I'm saying? And if it ever grew even more, we've got a prayer chapel, the old sanctuary. We could have an overflow in there. I'm just saying, utilize the resources that we have. That's what we're talking about here. Just want to plant that seed. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor Kevin, that's great, but this is all sounding like a one-way deal. It's not. It's not, it's not about me today. And I'm going to tell you why. See it again, verse 17. Watch it. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Don't get hung up on that. Here's what I want you to get hung up on. Because I'm going to have to keep a watch over your soul and give an account. I wish, I'm, I, I'll say it again, I wish for 10 minutes somehow you could feel that. Paul said, he talked about being shipwrecked and being beaten by rods and, and stoned and all the things that was done to him left for dead. And you know what the last thing he said in his list and the daily pressure I feel for the churches. See, I care about you. You're like children to me. And so, for, I care about your lives. And, and so, I'm trying to teach and to equip. And so, I'm hoping that like a coach hopes that the team will go run the play. And when the team doesn't run the play, the coach just goes, yeah, well, whatever. You know, I care. I'm keeping a watch over your souls, and I pray for you. And so when I see you post goofy stuff on Facebook and, and social media, I'm like, oh, why did they do that? And people come to me all the time, Pastor, did you know so-and-so in your church did this, said that, been there, done that, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, like, it's all my responsibility. Oh, one of your church members, da, da, da. one of your church members, one of your, it's not my job to babysit every church member. It is my job to equip and to pray for you and to counsel you and to love you, but I'm not going to run your lives. We are elder-led here, not elder-ruled. There are some churches that's got that backwards. The elders think they're calling the shots, and they get to rule over everything. No, we lead. And if you choose to follow, that's on you. But I can't, I can't be the general manager of the world. Don't expect me to be. And if you've got a problem with what somebody's done, you need to go to them yourself. You keep bringing it to me? Why don't you bring it to me? You want me to do the dirty work. And yet the Bible says if you've got a problem with somebody, Matthew 18, 15, Jesus said go to them one-on-one -on -one and show them their sin. That's between you. But you want me to do it. I can't do it yet. Step one is you do it. And then if they don't listen, and it truly is they're living in sin, then the Bible says take one or two more so as to establish witnesses. But I'm not going to switch that order. You've got to go first. So don't come to me and ask me to go somewhere with you to do some hard conversation until you've gone first. That's scriptural. Pastor Brad, Pastor Dale, and I will give an account one day for how we've done this work. That's why it's different than when I sold hardwood flooring when I measured windows and ordered windows from Weathershield, and I ordered doors from Jeldwin. This is different than anything I've ever done, and God called me to it. And so I gladly do it with honor, and it's a joy to serve you. I love you, and I'm grateful. Wearsby, 
we'll close with this. Warren Wearsby said, the great Bible commentator, he said it's not always this way with, with pastors. He says, see the quote, quite frankly, Wearsby says, it is much easier to win souls than it is to watch for souls. The larger a church grows, the more difficult it becomes to care for the sheep. Sad to say, there are some ministers whose only work is to preach and run the program, and they have no desire to minister to the souls placed in their care. Some are even hirelings who work only for money and who run away when danger is near. However, when a shepherd is faithful to watch for souls, it is important that the sheep submit to his leadership. You have three elders. It's kind of hard to believe, but Pastor Dale and his family have already been here for 10 years, and he's been an elder for five. It's hard for me to believe, but I'll be starting my 15th year here this January 1st. And it's hard for me to believe because I've actually, I was raised here. This has been my church since I was a little boy, right? And the elder statesman of the group is Pastor Brad because he's been here three months longer than I have. Starting next month in October, he will have been here 15 years. Church family, we love you very, very much. And so here's the Christian basic. It's, it's really 3 John 4, from my perspective as an elder, okay? 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, that's speaking of spiritual children, are walking in the truth. And that's our job, is to equip so that you can do works of ministry. And our job is to keep leading you to green pastures. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.